Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the keeping your old kettle to buying a new one. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. It's yeah, yeah, not hungover this weekend, which is always a positive. No stag do again, always a positive. And we're in separate locations, which again is always a positive. Charming. <laughs> On the show this week, we're joined by Mike Duffy from the Watford podcast Voices of the Vic. Mike, how's it going? Yeah, very well. Glad to be back on here again. It's been a while. Yeah, good to have you back on. And also with us is Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. Ian, are you well? Yeah, good, thank you. Every time you invite me on, we uh, we lose, so thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. I'll address the elephant in the room. When I booked you both as guests for the show, but it wasn't until a few hours later that I realised, oh yeah, Luton and Watford hate each other. So in the words of Tommy Shelby, no fighting. No fighting. Otherwise, Justin's going to have to get involved between both of you. So good luck, JP. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from the past weekend. Talk about some of the news from the past few days including all of the deals from deadline day. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. So Watford can only draw one all away at Rotherham. A lovely volley by Bakun Bayo got them a point here. Mike, it seems like Rotherham gave your boys a good game here. Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone that would have underestimated them before the game, it would have been stupid to do so because they haven't lost at home yet this season. And, only had their first loss in the week against Sunderland. So, yeah, um, on, on the whole, we probably should have won it. But win your home games and draw your away games. If, if we keep that up, we'll get promoted. So they made it difficult for us. And you can see why they've been hard to beat so far this season. Yeah, they're a good side, aren't they, Rotherham? And Justin, mm-hmm. a lot of their results so far have come from the goal-scoring exploits of 37-year-old centre-half Richard Wood. Only Oscar Estupinan, Ross Stewart and Josh Sargent have scored more goals than him so far, which I did not expect to be saying seven games into the season. But here we are. Yeah, I wonder what the odds were on him being not only top uh, Rotherham's top goal scorer this season, but potentially the league's top goal scorer this season. It does help that the defending from Watford was pretty lax and... I mean, the cross from Wes Harding wasn't exactly Beckham-esque, but if you give Richard Wood a run on goal, he's going to clobber the ball into the back of the net. And unfortunately, Watford did. And yeah, he got another one. Yeah, he celebrated by doing the gritty here. You familiar with that one, Justin? I'm not, but the fact that 37-year-old Richard Wood is embarrasses me a little bit for me. Maybe I should know it. Yeah, maybe I'm not sure a 37 year old man should be doing it, but <laughs> here we are. Um, Mike, I think congratulations are in order. You've managed to hold on to João Pedro and Ishmael Assar when at one point it looked like they were both heading out the door. How big could that be in the grand scheme of your season? 
could be the difference between us staying in this league and going up, mate. It's uh, it, it was quite a stressful few weeks. You know, you had that old saga where various people were saying Pedro was pretty much done. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, very rarely have I ever seen him get it wrong. And he even tweeted the famous words, here we go. And I thought, okay, you know, sort of expected it to go through. But no, listen, it, it, it's it's brilliant, you know, bit like two new signings for ourselves, really. You you saw what Saar did in the Championship last time we were here. And uh, Pedro's a couple of years older, a couple of, year, couple of years wiser as well since we'd last been. So he's... Um, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think if you watched the Middlesbrough game, those two sort of stole the show and Pedro was just unbelievable. And you sort of sat watching it like, how are we allowed players like this in the Championship? It almost feels illegal at times, but absolutely massive keeping hold of them too. Yeah, you're always going to be in the conversation for promotion, aren't you, when you've got two players like that in your team? And finally, 13 points from eight games for Rob Edwards. What's the fan base thinking with him so far? Um, mixed reactions, uh, honestly, mate. Twitter at the moment is such a negative place for Watford fans. Like, th these are the same people that were saying we, we need to stop hiring and firing managers, we need to get a young British manager in, and we've done that. And like you said, with 13 points after eight games, I'd have slapped your hand off at the start of the season. You have to look at the bigger picture who's gone out, who's come in, and I I'm, I'm more than happy we, we lost once against QPR. and Yes, that was disappointing because they always seem to beat us at the Vic. But we, um, we, we've we not had a performance yet where we've been like, that was really good. Every performance has been rubbish, yet we've still got 13 points from eight games. I'll take that. Yes, please. And uh, now the transfer window's closed. We should start to see the team sort of gel a little bit better and hopefully go on a bit, bit of a run and, and performances start to pick up. Wigan came from a goal down to win 2-1 away at Luton. It's only the third time Luton have lost at home in 2022. Ian, how was the game, first of all? Yeah, well, and it was all going well until the last 10 minutes. I think, you know, we were nicely placed for uh, to be in sixth 10 minutes before the end of the game, and then we threw it away. I think, tactically, we were set up well, but until until we made our changes, it all went to pot. He, he brought off too too many of the attacking players that were pressing and all that game went out the window as soon as we made them changes. So but credit to Wigan tactically they got it right with their changes and as soon as they got what what you deem as a fluke goal, um there was only going to be one winner. I think I said I tweeted just before they scored their second that it was only going to go one way and it did unfortunately. Yeah they only had one shot on target in this game, which is quite remarkable when they won two one. Um Luton have just got going as well, haven't they? Seven points from possible nine heading into this. And I assume you would have thought that you turned the corner at that point. Yeah, we never, we haven't really got into second or third gear yet. We've, you know, performances haven't been to what they were last season. But, you know, I know we've got more scope to move forward. Um, we did kind of turn a corner in terms of results and performances got slightly better. Um, but we're not not to the standard where Nathan Jones would deem we should be at the moment. You know, but there's no worries, you know. I don't think tactically he got it wrong yesterday. Um, but he's got it right more than often than not. So, you know, there's no reason to worry at this stage. Just one loss for Wigan this season, Justin. They've had a good start, haven't they, apart from that smashing against Burnley the other day? Yeah, and they were still pretty effective in the, in that game. Um, yeah, Burnley were, were 
I wouldn't say overperforming front of goal, but they were quite fortunate um, to score from the chances they created. But Wigan, Wigan are a good side uh, in this league, and 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 what showed from Liam Richardson is he can adapt his teams. They rode their luck in this game. Um, ben Amos was 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 certainly on form, and they were quite fortunate to be going into the break, just one nil down. But as as Ian mentioned, the changes that Richardson made. Um, swung the game in, in Wigan's favour, and obviously they scored an absolute perler for the winner as well from Asgard. It's yeah, it, it was a a smash and grab, I think you'd describe it. But Wigan fans will certainly take that back. Finally, Ian Luton surprised a lot of people by getting into the playoffs last season. How do you rate your chances of doing it again this season, or at least going close? I think I've got to kind of stick by my. Uh... Pre-season prediction, I think, you know, 8th and ninth will be in good stairs. It's a better division this year, I think. More competitive league, and you can see that by how close the league is already. Um, I think 8th and ninth will, will be there or thereabouts. Probably would have liked to have added one more before the transfer window had closed at, at centre-back, but we didn't. He's still in the, the free market at the minute, so see if he can grab someone from there. But um, I think he was trying to get someone over the line before it closed, and obviously that didn't happen, so... But Potts has been doing really well there. Yeah, eight for ninth, I think, is a is a reasonable prediction. I think once we get going, we'll we'll be there or thereabouts. Ian and Mike, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to head around the grounds and we'll go to one of the form teams in the division. That's Bristol City. They're unbeaten in six games, the latest being a 3-2 victory away at Blackburn. Patch Warner is from the Bristol City podcast. Three peeps in a podcast. Patch, your boys are flying. Yeah, so fantastic away day, as it turned out. We went into it thinking we could win, but as always with an away game, you're happy at 3pm if you come away with a draw. But the way we've been going about games lately with that intensity and desire and push forward, using the, the speed on the break of Vyman, the passing of Alex Scott, and the finishing of Wells and Conway, it really turned out to be a cracking away day. As always with Bristol City, uh, it's a case of of we can score one more than you. Uh, a few things to address defensively, but we've been looking so exciting going forward. And it's something that, that has impressed fans and is keeping people coming back down Ashton Gate. Yeah, the most exciting part of all of this has got to be young Tommy Conway, who scored again, playing up front for the Robins. He, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? Well, we had Tommy Conway on our podcast a good sort of 18 months ago. Uh, and at that point, we knew that there was something special. He's been banging goals in for fun all the way through the academy and through the development system. He's just needed to get that opportunity and get that chance. And he is a natural finisher. You won't see many players with more desire, with more passion. He plays like a fan. He can score with both feet. He can score with his head. He is someone definitely to watch. It's no surprise to, to us, to myself and Matt, and many City fans, that he is getting the goals that he's getting. I think what is a, been, a, been a surprise and a nice surprise is that he's got the opportunity and he's forged such a great relationship with Naki Wells and yeah it's it's bearing fruits it's now with a case of where does Semenyo fit in he's coming in you know the last half an hour the last few games and and terrorizing defenses but yeah for me it's still Wells and Conway up top starting and Tommy Tommy Conway just watch out for him yeah, and you sat fourth in the table at the time of recording. What do you think the expectations are for this season? 
That's a really interesting one. Um, it's still early days, and yes, we are sitting third. But I think, you know, looking at the table, we're only sort of six points off of Cardiff, who are just above the relegation zone. So it's an interesting one. We started the season, we do our, our predictions, and for me, it was top of the bottom half um, of of the league. So uh, uh, we're looking for that step change and that improvement from last season. But the way we start in, the way we are fearless, we don't go into any game thinking now that we are going to lose. So um, who's to say? You know, we could be knocking on the door of the playoffs um, if we continue in this vein, but... Who knows what happens in January? We've managed to keep hold of our starlets um, and uh, some of our elder statesmen as well that have been in good form through the you know the current transfer window that's just closed. But January again, who's to say that might come into question? But if we're doing well and we're showing good signs of being able to get to the to the promised land ourselves, then hopefully we can keep hold of them. Thank you, Patch. Justin, you picked Bristol City out as a team you fancied to do very well at the start of the season. So far, that's going very well, isn't it? It is. And am I surprised? No, as you said. Um, I think it's just a case of getting their away form right, because clearly uh, the home form's nailed down. They've kept quite a few clean sheets. It's just yeah, ensuring that they get results away from home and they will be a very solid team this season. They did that against Blackburn. I think the only criticism you've got is that they concede probably a few too many away from home. They've conceded eight away from home, where they've just conceded three at home. Um, but they're still scoring. And, and I think at one point in this game, um, obviously Blackburn pull a goal back. Maybe a few weeks ago, Bristol City throw away that 2-0 that lead, but they didn't. They got that third goal thanks to thanks to Naki Wells and they were they were home and hosed. It was a really good performance, really good counter-attacking performance from Bristol City. Yeah, we have got to remember Bristol City have long been a very streaky side who <laughs> go through very good patches and then instantly fail to win an equal number of games. I feel like that's exactly what we're seeing here, but credit where credit's due. They've been great, especially going forwards. Tommy Conway has been a sensation up top. Anti Alex Scott's a baller. That's no surprise at all, is it? And Andy Vyman's continued his great form from last season. They could do with tightening up at the back. Even in some of the games where they've kept clean sheets, they've looked a bit suspect. And I fear that will be the downfall of them once again. But same as always with Bristol City, very good going forwards and they like to try and outscore teams. Makes for great entertainment for us as well, Justin. So long may that continue. Also got to give a mention to Narky Wells, who's on four goals for the season. Mm-hmm. A bit of a forgotten man at Bristol City before the season started, but he's been great, hasn't he? Four losses from Blackburn's last five games. Not a great performance this and urgently need to pick up, don't they? Sheffield United are back top of the championship after beating Hull 2-0. And when you consider both these teams have started the season quite well, Justin, you probably wouldn't have guessed it from this game because Sheffield United were just clearly the better side. Yeah, which is, I wouldn't say it's quite surprising, but their home performances compared to their away performances, almost chalk and cheese at times, but it was a very good away performance from Sheffield United. They created the better chances throughout the game they forced Matt Ingram into a number of saves which has sort of been a key thing for well a key factor in, in keeping the score down for Hull in some, in some fixtures but yeah this was a very professional comprehensive performance from, from Sheffield United and something that you'd expect from them at, at this moment they're going for a really good patch um, they've got players in form it's it's I mean it's hard to see them fall, uh, tailing away but it's also hard to see them conceding goals they've just been Absolutely brilliant defensively, and that's what the foundations have been built on for Sheffield United so far this season. 
to be fair, Hull did have some very good chances in this game. Mm-hmm. And on a different day, it may have been a different result. So they could take a lot of positives from this game. Having said that, Sheffield United, I think their quality just shone through. And when it mattered, it really it really paid dividends, didn't it? Ollie McBurney has scored again, Justin. He went something like 21 months without yeah. scoring a league goal. Now he's got three and three. He's on fire. I'm, 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 I think this may be some sort of imposter, Ollie McBurney, because Gosh. he looks a complete... Well, <laughs> did you see how he was playing before, Justin? He looks a completely <laughs> different player. So he looks like he's got his confidence back now. Sander Berger nearly left Sheffield United on deadline day, but he scored again. He's just a fantastic player. Illiman Ndiaye was brilliant. There's just a lot of quality in this team, isn't there? And so far, even in games where they haven't played brilliantly it's just shone through and that's the reason why they're sat top of the table right now um as i was saying earlier justin hall can take plenty of positives from this can't they yeah absolutely and, and they're going through somewhat of an injury crisis and i think they brought in four players on deadline day as well so there's more players that are the lads they need to integrate into the team but going forward the performance was fine and You've been able to say that quite a few times for Hull this season. It's just finding that balance between attack v defence that Arvaladzi needs to needs to find the, the the perfect tonic for. But I think we're not going to see the best of Hull. I said this at midweek. We're not going to see the best of Hull for probably another five or six games when you get um, when you get Seri back in the team and and Tufan and, and Slater or Woods, whoever whether whether he pulls a three in there or, or what. Um, I don't think we'll, we'll probably see Hull become the article we expect him to be yeah they've conceded 12 goals in the last four games which isn't great is it and is definitely what's let them down recently they're mm-hmm. conceding sloppy goals Matt Ingram probably should have done better with the first one but as long as they're doing well up the other end Justin then they should manage to get a healthy number of points as the season goes on Norwich went top of the league for a day after beating Coventry 3-0 this was as simple as it gets, really, wasn't it? I'd call it a walk in the park, but I've had walks in the park more stressful than this for Norwich, Justin. I'm not surprised with uh, with your with your habits, Ryan. But uh... hang on a second, <laughs> I'm not that accusing makes me you. Sound of a bit suspect. <laughs> yeah, well, we all know we all know your character. Anyway, uh, back to Norwich. <laughs> well, that's that's defamatory. <laughs> it's not the worst thing I've said to you. My lawyer will be in touch in the morning. Carry on. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, it was it was a fairly straightforward win for Norwich. They played with a lot of freedom and confidence, which is what you'd expect from this Norwich team. And it's something that we've not been able to say too often under Dean Smith. Um, and you go back to the last two games where they haven't really been at the best, but they still picked up. They still picked up uh, the results, and and winning does that. Winning breeds confidence, and this game epitomise that quite nicely is how confident they were they were playing you look at the third goal for example where Campwell picks the ball up in the middle of the park and plays that defence splitting pass into Sargent who, who runs in behind and he sets up um, I can't remember who scored it now was it Sonani he set up he set up the goal for the th- uh, the third one anyway but it was just a really good move from, from Norwich and a really good demonstration of what confidence can, can bring to a team yeah, in fairness, they did have a goal disallowed Coventry. So maybe I'm yeah. being a bit dramatic by saying it was a walk in the park, but there's no doubt Norwich eased past them in the end. The second goal was a really nice team goal. 
it really was Norwich at the very best at times, wasn't it? Timo Puki got his first goal of the season. Josh Sargent scored again. And just a lot of boxes ticked. And it's five wins on the bounce now. It's hard to believe there was somewhat of a crisis after the first three games, Justin. Um, they're just doing what Norwich do in the Championship, aren't they? It helps when you have got a guy like Josh Sargent who's making it very apparent to everyone he's way too good for the second tier. He was asked to play on the right in this game and still had a stormer, such as his confidence and form <laughs> at the moment. But then you've also got the likes of Marcelino Nunes in midfield, who's looking like an unbelievable signing from Chile. And Ramsey's looked very lively. And Amabamadeli and Grant Hanley have looked really solid at the back. It is also worth remembering their £6 million new signing from Brazil hasn't even started a game yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they might be they might get even better, which is just scary for everyone else. But right now, them and Sheffield United are looking a cut above everyone else, aren't they? They've the, clearly been the two best teams in the Championship. And they're both occupying the top two places in the table. Wouldn't surprise me if that is still the case come the end of the season. Just one point from five games now for Coventry. Victor Jokerez and Matt Goddard were dropped to the bench here of Tyler Walker as the lone striker, which seems like a strange move. I don't think anyone was expecting Coventry to get anything from this game, Justin, but the manner in which they lost and four straight losses, a bit concerning, isn't it? It is concerning. I know we've used the pitch as an excuse, and I do think it has impacted them, but I would... I would... Raise questions about a team selection. It's not very often we've criticised Mark Robbins on this podcast. He's an absolutely excellent manager. But I think benching both uh, Jokerez and Godin perhaps wasn't the the best move. Um, And I do think it was a game-changing decision to disallow the Coventry goal. I'm on the fence whether it should have been allowed or not, but it's one of those that if, if, if Coventry score that... Perhaps it swings the game in their favour, or it's got something. They've then got something to defend after being um, after being one 0 down. But yes, it was a disappointing performance overall, especially in the second half. But the next result is is massive for Coventry, I think, to stem this flow of defeats to to get them back onto a track that isn't that isn't a one way ticket out of the league one. Yeah, the chaos with the pitch has really knackered them. And every pro will tell you, despite all the friendlies and pre season work you do, you don't get up to full fitness until four or five games into the season and Coventry haven't been able to do that so they're behind other teams in that respect but having said that selling Dom Hyam benching Jokerez and Godden strange decisions and that's not going to help them either I'm not overly worried just yet I think we will get a better indication of where this Coventry side will end up after 12 or so games but it's undeniably been a fairly disastrous start to the season mm. for them hasn't it for Many reasons. Final point on this game. Did see Norwich have a stand specifically for their drummer? I don't know what your thoughts are on yeah. about that, Justin. Have you seen Mad Max Fury Road where they, uh, where they um, at the front of the procession of cars, there's, there's, mm. there's a band playing or there's a guitarist. feels a bit like that. It's um, I wasn't, I'm not sure if it's Tim Pot or absolutely brilliant. I'm, again, I'm on the fence about it, but... Again, maybe when when the as the season goes on, I might I might I might love it. Maybe hmm. people have, will have different opinions on drummers at football match. My main concern is how do you pay attention to the game when you're so busy drumming all the time? Maybe maybe they're a paid musician. Maybe they are an outsourced musician to to come in and, and drum up an atmosphere. Maybe they're not a fan. Maybe they hate football. They're just there to make music. Who knows? It's not a bad gig, is it? <laughs> I went to watch. Um, I, I went to watch Atlanta United. In Atlanta, and they essentially had a brass band 
in the stands. They had drummers. <laughs> they had trumpets. They, they basically had like the Atlanta United ultras taking up one whole stand, just singing throughout the whole game. None of them are paying attention to the game. They've paid money to get into the game and none of them are, you know, actually watching the game. But they're just having a big party in the stands. I, I, I don't know if that's helpful for the players on the pitch <laughs> at all. Just everyone having a big party, dancing and singing along to the songs while you're out there working your bollocks off. Um, nonetheless, this Sunday afternoon, we saw Reading beat Stoke 2-1, thanks to a double from Lucas Yao on his birthday. Happy birthday, Lucas. What on earth was Jack Bonham doing for that first goal? He has come flying out, has run past the ball. It was very strange. Yao still had plenty to do after that, so fair play to him. There was also a funny moment in this game where Ben Wilmot nearly scored an own goal after smashing the ball into his own chin. Um, but Reading were the better team here and were good value for the win, weren't they? Yeah, certainly were. They were um, what we expect from Reading. They were compact in the middle. They were they 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 forced Stoke to attack down the wide areas, but the defense dealt with everything that came into the box. It was a really good, hard-working performance with that little bit of quality that they've missed at times in games. And their home record so far this season has been absolutely fantastic. Obviously, they've got a hundred percent record at the moment, and obviously, if they are going to steer away from even being anywhere near in danger, picking up points away from home is great, but having that home record certainly is going to help. Um, so yeah, I can't have too many complaints about Paul Lynch at the moment. I think he deserves a hell of a lot of praise um, because I think most people would have thought it had been an absolutely horrendous season for Reading, but actually it's turning out to be a very, very pleasant start for them. And this again, this was a very good performance. New manager bounce, not really impacting Stoke. They managed to break that curse and uh, get three points. Yeah, Tom Ince was sensational here. He was just an inspiration all day. And he looks remarkably reminiscent of the Tom Ince we all know and love, Justin. I'm talking about the Tom Ince that we saw at Blackpool, the one we saw at Derby, who was a very, very good player. And it's been a long time since we've seen that Tom Ince, isn't it? His moves to Huddersfield and Stoke did not work out at all in the slightest, did they? But this season, you can make a fair argument that he's been Reddin's best player. We all know how talented a boy he was before. If you get him back to his best, then you've got yourselves a massive player. I suppose it helps when your dad's the manager and will give you plenty of game time, no matter what. But he's getting the best out of him, isn't he? And he's been a really, really key part to Reading's good start. But it is another win for them. Four wins from five, and they sit third. They've massively surpassed expectations so far, Justin. I suppose the question is, how long can this amazing form go on for? <laughs> I think you asked this the other week and I managed to curb the question, which I might do again this week. I think it's just a case of just keep getting points on the board. And, and Why do you want to curb the question, Justin? Because I don't want angry Reading fans circling at my door, diminishing their, their really good start and saying, well, you might still get sucked into a relegation battle because the squad is is low on numbers. Um, but as long as Reading are putting in these performances... And getting results at the same time, that's a massive plus. But it's just the away form that might drag them down a little bit. Again, it's annoying, but Derby are a good example. Away form last season was atrocious. Home form was very, very good. Picked up a lot of points at home. Um, so they've got to they've got to find a way to get results away from home if they are to avoid getting relegated. Because we saw that can happen last season. It doesn't take much for everything to just go completely wrong, does it? I remember Hull yeah. from yeah. two seasons ago. They yeah. were mid-table. Um, <laughs> halfway through the season and still got relegated no in fact they were on the edge of the playoffs yeah, halfway yeah. through the season and then got relegated so yeah 
you can start the season brilliantly, but later on and when injuries start piling up and what have you, that's when the issues start coming up, don't they? So Reading have had a great start, but they just need to try and maintain it as much as possible. Um, as I say, I don't think that will happen. I think they probably will end up being in a relegation battle later on in the season, but this great start could end up keeping them up and they'll be massive mm-hmm. for them won't it when a lot of people are expecting them to go down Alex Neil waits for his first win as Stoke boss he'll be hoping for a lot better than what he saw here got to say I'm not sure about Jacob Brown at right wing back mm. I suppose it goes back to what we were saying before about how it could take a while for Alex Neil to figure out the best team Justin yeah I think he's got a lot more to do than just to figure out his best team uh, f- from my perspective anyway he's got to change the whole mentality at the club it feels like mediocrity has been accepted uh, and changing attitude and, and mentality is a lot harder than changing players and personnel. Um, Michael O'Neill struggled with that transition from Nathan Jones. It took him took him a while to start getting results on the board. So I think Alex Neal's job is is huge. But I think one thing I would question is going to a back three in this game um, after playing very well with the back four in midweek. Thought that was quite strange um, because Stoke were almost ineffective going forward at times in this game. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about West Brom and Burnley's draw from Friday night and also Preston finally conceding a goal. Back to the second tier podcast on Friday night. West Brom's Brandon Thomas Asante scored a 97th minute equaliser on his debut for the Baggies in their one all draw with Burnley. Who do you think will be happier with a point here, Justin Peach? I think uh, obviously Vincent Company. Um, I'd be very frustrated if I was Steve Bruce just getting out of chances they created. But equally, I'd be frustrated if I was Vincent Company because that last 15 minutes, West Brom threw absolutely everything at Burnley. And Burnley dealt with pretty much everything until the final cross came in when Conor Roberts spooned his clearance. So I think Gumpney will be will be pretty pleased because I think them getting a draw out of this was pretty fortunate. But West, um, Steve Bruce, West Brom, will be very frustrated the amount of chances they missed. What a touch by Nathan Teller for the penalty <laughs> that he won. That was astonishing. I mean, Murich's pass was great as well. But that touch is the stuff of dreams. It made he made it look easy, but that is that is a ridiculous bit of quality. Um, if you were somehow in a scenario, Justin, where you watched all of West Brom's games but didn't see any of the goals and didn't know how they ended, you'd be thinking they'd be near the top of the league, if not top. How have they only won one game so far this season? Apart from that Middlesbrough game on the first day of the season, they've probably edged just about every game. On the, on the balance of play, or at least you can make a fair argument about it. Only Norwich have averaged more shots per game than them, and they face the second fewest shots in the division, and they've got the highest expected goals attack-wise in the championship. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And they have been really unlucky, but unfortunately it seems like the problems that we saw from last season have carried over. They create an abundance of chances, but they just don't put them away. And I don't really know how you solve it. I'm surprised... West Brom fans have any hair left because I'd have pulled it out ages ago. I mean, it's going anyway, but it would be going quicker if I was a West Brom fan. Hopefully the signing of Thomas Asante might change that, but only time will tell because it is astonishing how many points they drop just simply by not putting away chances when they create so many good ones. Just the one loss for Burnley this season. A lot of draws 
could do with converting some of them into wins. But otherwise, Vincent Company would be content with his side start to the season, won't he? Yeah, I think he'd be pretty pleased. We all know the transition that they needed to make. Um, so I think getting a draw away at West Brom is actually a pretty, a pretty decent result. Uh, on the face of things and they are going in the right direction I think one thing I need to point out as well is is the the, the fashion sense from Vincent Company um, we've seen trendsetters in the past Gary Rowett and his jumpers um, Carlos Corbran and his chinos Vincent Company cap blazer t-shirt trainers really bold and I'm, I'm here for it I think it's sending touchline fashion to a into a new direction and um, I look forward to seeing maybe someone like Steve Bruce wearing the same thing I haven't really noticed, but I'll keep an eye out for Vincent <laughs> Company's uh, attire for the next game. Preston have finally conceded a goal, Justin. They lost 1-0 at home to Birmingham. Yeah, finally conceded a goal and it's at home to Birmingham. Strange. Um, Ryan Lowe was sent off after the game after confronting the referee about certain decisions, including a disallowed goal. Preston had a few chances and despite only scoring the two goals, have been creating, but putting them away, Justin might be a more serious problem than we thought. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you only score two goals in a season, uh, or so far this season, I think it is it is an issue. Uh, Emil Reese had a really good chance early on in the game. John really pulled off a good save. But other than that, there wasn't anything too, too clear-cut, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, you're walking away from the game feeling very, very disappointed from a Preston perspective because... They had a couple of chances and didn't take them, as you're saying. And it's 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 been a case for quite a few times this season that um, yeah they just haven't haven't done what they needed to do to to get ahead in games. Defensively, they've they've been absolutely fine as we know, but just going forwards is 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 maddeningly frustrating for everybody. I've seen a lot of Preston fans being very irate at the lack of goals, and I can see why. Yeah, well, Emil Rees Jakobsen's not had a great start. Perhaps he's been distracted by rumours of a move away with Middlesbrough supposedly circling around him through throughout the whole window, basically. Troy Parrott struggled. Chet Evans is nothing more of a backup player at this level, is he, really? So it might just be a temporary problem. Now that the window's closed, Jakobsen may get his head down and start cooking. If not, there's going to be serious problems, isn't there? Because it's obvious, but you can't win games without scoring goals, Justin. And I also worry that now they finally conceded, is it going to open the floodgates? Because they have got a horrible run of games coming up. Honestly, the next month, their fixtures are really, really tough. So there's every chance that Preston, who have broken the record for you know not conceding a goal for so long at the start of the season, it may start looking a bit bad in the next few games. Uh, Birmingham had only picked up one point from their last five games and were seriously struggling prior to this game, but they turned up here and said, crisis? What crisis? <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's, it's helped massively by um, the injection of quality they had in the game. I, th- I think Christian Bielik started, Chong started, and you could see the composure they brought into that, mid- into that midfield. And no criticism of the youngsters that I've had to fill in. They've done, a, they've done an admirable job, but you could see the difference in quality, especially in possession as well. Um, Jordan Graham, with his deliveries, was on the money with that Maxim Collin cross. He was, he was an absolutely beautiful cross into the into the box. And that's what he brings to the team: is that ability to put the ball in the right areas. And it's just about 
a little bit more consistency. Um, I think defensively they were quite solid. The back three I've criticised at times, and I know I, I really do like Austin Trusty, but I think Mark Roberts and Dion Sanderson have been a little bit suspect at times. But they did a really good job of of limiting Preston um, in this game as well. So, yeah, really good away away display here from from John Eustace and the team, and the and the, um, the the scenes at the end of the game from from him and the staff and the players was yeah was uh, very passionate. Loved it. Yeah, Chong and Bielik in midfield. Both their second debuts for the club, which is a strange coincidence, isn't it? Um, But that midfield pairing could be a lot of fun this season. I mean, you think about it, considering Birmingham squad isn't great, but that midfield pairing could be one of the best in the Championship because they are two very, very (laughs) good players if they both stay fit. I think that asterisk has got to be added there. Um, They were okay here, Birmingham, weren't they? Better than they have been recently anyway, although that's not too difficult because they have been very poor. So, yeah, really good win for John Eustace's boys. Huddersfield have now lost five of their first seven games, the latest coming against Blackpool, who won 1-0. To be fair, Dan Grimshaw in the Blackpool goal was a very busy boy, so they can possibly count themselves unlucky here, especially with one moment in particular, Justin, where it looks like the ball may have crossed the line and goal line technology didn't give it. Yeah, I was, I was on the fence. I didn't really want to comment on it in too much detail until the goal line technology actually confirmed whether it was over the line or not, but thanks to Huddersfield fans' investigative work and numerous angles and screenshots, it looks like the ball was a yard over the line. It was in Grimshaw's lap, who was well into the goal. Um, so I honestly have no idea there what's happened. And you've got to feel for Huddersfield, who created a good amount of chances. As you say, Dan Grimshaw did a very good job at keeping uh, keeping them out. And that, that moment there could, could be a defining one for Huddersfield and Danny Schofield this season. So... Yeah, God knows what's happened. Honestly, it's, well, I wouldn't say scandalous, but yeah, <laughs> no other words to say about it. It's weird, strange. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what has actually happened with that. But it reminds me of the Sheffield United Villa game from yeah. in the Premier League during the pandemic where the ball had crossed the line, but it wasn't given. But my theory is that if it's right up against the post like this was, then it oh, yeah. might not get detected by goal line technology because that's been the case in both these incidents so maybe that's a defect in goal line tech that hasn't really been sorted out but nonetheless Huddersfield are seriously struggling aren't they no disrespect to Blackpool but if Huddersfield aren't going to be relegation contenders this season Blackpool at home is a game you really should be looking to win alas it didn't happen and I think they're in danger Justin yeah it's hard to disagree especially with the running results and even performances, I think you can give them some benefit of doubt here. This was actually a, a much better performance from Huddersfield, but it's taken a long time for Danny Schofield to get uh, any idea of what his best team is, his best starting eleven. I know he's had to contend with injuries um, and a turnover in players, but uh, he's been dealt a really bad hand. But in some cases like this, you do need an experienced manager at the helm, and, and unfortunately, Danny Schofield doesn't offer that. He's got a lot of players out of form as well. Sorba Thomas isn't displaying anywhere near that form he showed last season. And, jo- and Jorin is, is in fits and starts. Danny Ward hasn't looked dangerous at all. Yeah, it's um, it's a big worry for Huddersfield. And it's a, it's a shame, really, because it, I think last season could have been a massive, massive boost and a massive platform to something much greater. But unfortunately, it's, it's just dropped so quickly. Yeah, I, th- I think you've only just scratched the surface there, Justin. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of problems with this squad and it's a lot worse than I thought it was. They've just completely lost control of games 
they had that with Lewis O'Brien in the middle of the park, but that's gone now. And that's leading to them conceding more chances. And that's not been helped either by the likes of Colwell and Toffolo going. I mean, it's a good thing they've got Lee Nichols in goal because otherwise they could have taken a few hidings already this season. Going forwards, looking toothless. The wing-backs aren't being as effective. As you mentioned, Sorba Thomas is their only real creative outlet. He has been creating chances, but not at the same rate as last season. And Danny Ward's low on confidence. Jordan Rhodes isn't the Jordan Rhodes of old, is he? So I think they're in real danger. I don't think it's particularly Danny Schofield's fault. I just don't think they've replaced the players who have left. And they're in a bit of a pickle right now. It's, it's definitely... Definitely concerning times for Huddersfield. Good win for Blackpool, though. They sit 11th with this victory. Theo Corbino has looked a really good player for them. Anti scored here. That's three and four games for him now. So, yeah, mm. looking quite good for Blackpool, though they have had a couple of bad performances recently. Swansea got only their second win of the season. That was a 1-0 victory at home to QPR. I'm not sure where this performance has come from because they've absolutely dominated QPR here. A 1-0 win does not do justice just how good Swansea were. And... They've been quite rubbish recently, Swansea, really, haven't they? They've been really, really poor. Yeah, they've been incredibly average, uh, if that. Um, and Russell Martin rang the changes in this game, didn't he? He went 4-4-2, for example. Um, Stephen Bender's come in and put in actually a very good performance. He looked shaky at times last season for Swansea and for Peterborough. Um, Carl Norton was at right back. Obviously, Harry Darling was on the bench. Yeah, he, he, Russell Martin was brave with his selection, but it paid off. And, and QPR had much, well, had, had, had more possession than Swansea, which how many times have we been able to say that about Swansea over the last 12 months under Russell Martin? So, yeah, some bold calls by, by Russell Martin paying off. And I think Cooper as well played... Very well up, up alongside Joel Piro. He's, you know, I mean, the ball he fed into to Piro for the goal, for example, was was very composed for for a youngster. So, yeah, it's yeah, some bold calls there from from Martin. As I say, it really paid off, and almost quite surprising that the most anti-possession formation possible, a four-four-two, is is paid off here for him. Yeah, well, it looks a lot simpler, doesn't it? It, look, it looks like it clicks a lot better when you've got Norton and Manning at fullback instead of you know, playing three at the back with wing backs when you don't really have many wing back options. So that looks a lot more sensible. But they just managed the game very well, Swansea. And mm-hmm. the only thing Russell Martin will be annoyed about is them not winning this game by more. Because honestly, they did just dominate it that much. Millwall got their first win in five. They beat Cardiff 2-0. Millwall v Cardiff, I bet that was a quiet day out. Um, Cardiff will be a bit frustrated here, I think. They hit the woodwork twice, had some decent chances. Fans will be hoping... Callum Robinson will help solve the goals problem because they're the second lowest scorers in the league and it's seriously costing them points now without a win in five. Millwall were good though, weren't they? Nice goal by Benicophobie. Defending was questionable, but still nicely taken. Callum Styles played really well on his debut. Zion Fleming played well too. Only his second start. Guy Rowett will be happy with what he saw here. Yeah, it was a much-needed win, but I think the clean sheet's almost as important. And he mentioned Cardiff still had couple of really good chances but you're going to get them in games um, especially with with how Cardiff play um, but I thought Millwall managed the game quite well and as I say I think that clean sheet is almost as important as the win because of how incredibly leaky they've been and how easy they've been to score against um, at the start of this season so yeah getting that clean sheet I think could be the bedrock of um, them pushing on potentially they need a run of games a run of results that that fires them up the league and obviously I think having Callum Styles and Jamie Shackleton at wing back 
adds quite a lot of balance into t- into the team and Benny Kofobi getting that first that that, that, or that Aries goal I should say um, I think will give him the confidence and yeah it's it's a lot a lot more um, yeah a lot more positives to talk about Millwall as as well as opposed to the last few weeks where yeah they've not been very very good. Well, the final game from this weekend is a northeast derby between Middlesbrough and Sutherland. That's on Monday night, so we'll talk about that game in Thursday's episode. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. Let's talk deadline day. Justin, and we'll begin with the players who are sticking around, fortunately for us. Watford have managed to keep hold of João Pedro and Ishmael Assar. Were you surprised, Justin? And also, how big a boost is this for them? Um, was I surprised? I don't think I was surprised. It's, it's, they're big moves to get done in a day, aren't they? Yeah, big, big money. Um, there's work permits. But Pedro, Pedro's been linked with a move away for quite a while, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. But I feel like when clubs leave it that late, they've only got themselves to blame. It's not going to get the deal over the line. Um, Joe Pedro, the still they could have offered the, the, the valuation and acceptable valuation a long time ago um, because you know, Pedro and Saar are worth, are worth that. And obviously Saar could have gone to Aston Villa, but for whatever reason, the move didn't materialise. Um, but for Watford, yeah, massive, massive boost. I know they've they've done fairly okay so far this season. Um, we know it could be better. They sit sixth at the moment, 13 points from eight games. It's 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 okay. Um, but I think once now that um, now the transfer deadline or transfer windows out of the way, I think we should see Watford hit another gear, especially getting Keenan Davis into starting eleven as well. So yeah, that front three of Davis, Pedro, and and Saar does does wear the appetite quite significantly. Yeah, that is a nice looking front <laughs> three and. Just having those two, they provide so much star quality, so much X factor that you just don't really get with many players in this division. So they're obviously going to be in the conversation for the top two when you've got these two players in your team. Um, it's just about getting the most out of them. Saar has been a bit hit and miss at times this season. I think Rob Edwards is still trying to work out how best to deploy him, but João Pedro has been a different beast this season and he's really looking like he's making this season his own so the fact he's staying around I don't know why you wouldn't sign him if you're a Premier League club early 20s bags mm, of potential yeah. I, I'd i be straight on the phone if I was a Premier League club uh, Ben Barrett and Diaz is staying at Blackburn Fulham were reportedly one of the clubs sniffing around him but Sky Sports say clubs were put off by the £15 million price tag would you have sold Justin? <laughs> Speaking economically, yes, I would have sold. Um, I think Blackburn could use that money to reinvest in their team. Uh, and that's just my stance on it. I, I said a few weeks ago I wouldn't have I would have paid seven to eight million, I wouldn't have paid over that. And that's just down to his contract running out and him having just one full season of being a reliable goal scorer behind him. Um and that's as I say, it's just down to the, the economics of the deal. Fifteen million pounds seems a bit steep for a player who, as I say, has had one season at championship level where he stood out. Um, as opposed to someone like Adam Armstrong, for example, who has had multiple seasons where he's hit double figures. So it's not a criticism of Ben Barrett and Diaz. He's arrived very late um, in terms of his uh, his form and his ability. Um, that is clearly worth £15 million to Blackburn, but I'm not surprised to see clubs not pay the, um, what uh, what Blackburn are after. It's, it's a lot of money to pay for someone who's going to be worth nothing in well, eight months' time. Yeah, I'd have sold him 100%. I think... Blackburn have priced themselves and him out of a move because he wants to go. He's made that 
pretty clear. He's out of contract next year and has no intention of signing a new one. So they're probably going to lose him for nothing now. And I think that's a bit short-sighted by Blackburn. Sure, it's great to have him at the club for the season, but this money they're probably not going to get now uh, unless someone goes in in January. But, I mean, clubs abroad can sign him for free now yeah. in January, can't they? Um, and he has had interest from abroad and I don't think you'll get much for him in January when he's out of contract in six months. So I think it's short-sighted because they're probably not going to get promoted this season. The money could have been used to replenish the squad and help build towards them getting promoted in the long term, which I think would have been more sensible. So lower the asking price and you got yourself a good deal there, really. The ultimate thing is for me, assuming Brereton Diaz leaves on a free... That means the total transfer fees received for him, Joe Rothwell, Daryl Enahan and Ryan Niambe is absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound like good business sense to me. So sure, fans want to have all the best players there, but you've got to think about this long term and losing all those players for absolutely nothing is not great. Sander Berger nearly left Sheffield United, Justin. He was reportedly close to signing for Club Brugger. Um, I know you're going to laugh and say it's Bruges, but I, I got told it's Club Brugger. Um, this was from Andy Brassel, and he's a very smart man. Um, <laughs> but they couldn't meet United's asking price. Premier League clubs had also inquired about him too. This one caught me by surprise because at one point it looked like he was off, but he's staying. And that's a huge boost for the Blades, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, he's a fantastic player. Um, I don't think there's a more complete midfielder in the division, really, or central midfielder anyway. I think his physicality, his ability to run with the ball, his ability to pick up space... He's such an intelligent player. Um, and again, I just don't know why more clubs haven't been in for him. Perhaps it's Sheffield United's asking price. They've been turned away by it. But I I would pay it if I was a Premier League club. I absolutely would because he's got the package to be able to thrive in a, the top flight in any in any country, I think. Um, he's ready-made for it. He really is. And I, I mean, Sheffield United paid that much money for him when they were in the Premier League. So clearly they saw something in him and... Yeah, it's, it's a surprise that he's managed to stay there, but that's to the benefit of Sheffield United. Top, top player. Um, I've got nothing else to say about him. He's a fantastic player to watch. I think his form in the Premier League may have put clubs off and Maybe. also his injury record is a bit yeah. sketchy. So that's why I think clubs may not have been as keen to you know, fork out for him. But there was plenty of interest in him and it wouldn't surprise me if Sheffield United didn't get promoted this season if he were to leave at some point in the near future because he's clearly a quality player and it surprises me really that it's only until this year that he's got going because he was struggling before that, wasn't he? Let's go on to the actual deals then, Justin. Blackpool have lost Josh Bowler. He's been sold to Forest for £4 million and immediately loaned to Olympiacos, which is odd. But that's a big blow for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's really disappointing. Again, he's, he's such a good player to watch and big middle fingers are not even Forrest is taking that away because as a neutral yeah, he's he's such a talented player with the ball at his feet, but he's got the chance to try himself in a new country and 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 obviously play some. I think they're playing European football, uh, Olympiacos. I can't quite remember if they got Probably. through because, um, and he's under he's under the tutelage of, of Carlos Corbran as well, which is which is quite interesting. But yeah, it's it's a big blow for um, it's a big blow for for Blackpool. But I think Appleton has a plan. He's very good at getting a lot out of wide players, as we've seen with the likes of Anthony Scully, uh, Brennan Johnson, Morgan Rogers at Lincoln, for example. Um, and he's got Pervader and, and, and Corbiano as well. So, yeah, I think it's a blow, but they've got a good fee for him and they've got good players there to replace him. So, 
not too not too bad, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad either, just because they have got players there already who can just step into his shoes. So obviously losing him, also just for four million as well, I feel like that's a bit on the cheap side. Um nonetheless Blackpool can use that to replenish the rest of the squad and use it in the long term. Um, some other clubs should take notice of that. They have brought in Leicester midfielder Callum Wright and Brighton forward Zach Emerson on permanent deals. The latter holds the record for, well, he's the second youngest player in EFL history. So that's interesting, isn't it? Um, now, as part of Birmingham's shitting off the bed over their recent form, they've signed Man United midfielder Tar Chong on a permanent deal. He was on loan there last season, and the BBC is reporting he's joined for just one and a half million pounds. Either way, it's an impressive move, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, it is. He brings a lot of quality to that Birmingham team, and I think him getting injured when he did last season was the start of the downfall for Lee Bowyer and Birmingham City because he was a creative spark in that team. He was the he was the player who got the ball at his feet and drove Birmingham City forwards, um, and I think he'll do much of the same this season, albeit in a slightly more a much better system. I think for him to thrive in under John Eustace, um, it's not just not a dig at Bowyer, just very defensive minded, isn't he? Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a really good signing, and and, and if it goes well, one and a half million pounds could easily be seven or eight million pounds in a year or two's time because he's got that potential. We're not hitting his ceiling yet. He's a very exciting player, and I look forward to seeing seeing him prosper at a permanent club. Yeah, he's a fantastic player. I don't think anyone's doubting that. And one and a half million could end up being an absolute bargain. The only question I've got with this is how is this being paid for? Because <laughs> the current owners obviously want out, so the potential new owners have reportedly been heavily involved in the deal, and the payment has been deferred. So what happens if this takeover doesn't go through? Which at the moment, I'm not really sure what's going on with the takeover. It seems to be, you know, a bit on the knife edge at the moment. Who foots the bill if this takeover doesn't go through? And also, mm-hmm. the owners are apparently being investigated over where their money's come from, according to reports. So, I don't know. It, it, it seems a bit sketchy to me, Justin. I won't be surprised if this isn't the last time we hear about this deal. Um, meanwhile, Birmingham were very keen to get a much-needed striker on deadline day. They were keen by all accounts, to get Chesterfield's Kabongo Tishmanga, who failed his medical at the last minute. And, I mean, that brings about questions in itself, doesn't it? Callum Robinson has joined Cardiff in a permanent deal. He leaves Rasperon for a reported one and a half million. This is a great deal for me, Justin. I mean, I've been critical of Cardiff's business this summer, saying it seems more like quantity over quality for me. But this is a genuinely quality signing. He's coming off the back of... A great, well, it wasn't a great season at West Brom, but he still got seven goals and nine assists, which, when you look at it numbers-wise, is pretty good. And I think he gives Cardiff a huge lift in quality. He's also a great pro. He's an intelligent striker, good at keeping hold of the ball. And Cardiff have been absolutely desperate for a striker, haven't they? It's the main reason why they're the second lowest scorers in the league. And for me, he fits the bill perfectly, as long as he gets his confidence back that we've seen with him before. He's still only 27 as well, which caught me <laughs> off guard. So Cardiff have got themselves a guy who's heading into what are supposed to be his peak years. Someone who was playing Premier League football a couple of seasons ago yeah. on the regular. And for, it's all for one and a half million pounds. I'm, I'm surprised other teams haven't done this, Justin. Yeah, I, I imagine Ryan Lowe is absolutely fuming because it's no secret. <laughs> it's no secret that Preston were in for him as well. Uh, and one and a half million pounds. I, I, I imagine much of his frustration in his red card 
may have been linked to the the lack of movement to getting in another forward because Callum Robson would have been perfect for for his system. Um, but that's Cardiff's game. Uh, he's a, he's a top top forward. I think he hit. I'm right saying hit double figures in each of his seasons at Preston in the Championship. Might be worth looking that up. But he was still a very reliable player for Preston, which is why he got a decent move into the Premier League to uh, to, to Sheffield United. So yeah. Really good player, and looking forward to seeing how he adapts to uh, to Steve Morrison's system. Yeah, absolutely. Right, Justin, we'll fly through the rest of the deadline day deals. Millwall have signed Callum Styles from Barnsley. An interesting one, because he's moved on loan, but signed a new contract at Barnsley. Apparently it has a release clause in it, but I don't really know what that means for him in the long term. Either way, a great signing by Millwall, this big fan of Callum Styles. West Brom have signed Martin Kelly on a free... All right. Um, Stoker brought in Chelsea right back Dujon Sterling on a season long loan. He was at Blackpool last season. He's all right, isn't he? Justin Peach will be a big fan because he was saying they need a right back. So that's duly needed. Sunderland have signed Man United winger Ahmad Diallo on loan. He cost United 22 million in January last year. Doesn't get talked about enough how little he's done since coming to England um, maybe this will get the best out of him Hall have ended up being the busiest championship side on deadline day they've signed Adama Traore not that one on a permanent deal as well as Chelsea's Harvey Vale Xavier Simmons or Simons um, Fenerbahce's Demetrius Pel- Pelkas on loan deals all four players I've mentioned there are midfielders Hull have signed so many midfielders this summer Justin I can only assume they're playing some sort of one eight one formation Huddersfield have been busy too they brought in Barnsley defender Mikhail Helic and Ipswich striker Tyree Simpson on permanent deals as well as Man City defender Luke Mbete Helic's a solid signing in see um, George Hurst has joined Blackburn on loan from Leicester. The striker scored 13 goals in League One with Portsmouth last season. Centre-back Clinton Moller also comes in on loan from Stuttgart. Wigan have got in defender Romani Edmonds-Green on loan from Huddersfield and midfielder Tom Scully in a permanent deal from Lincoln. Quite like the Scully signing. Burnley have signed Brentford striker Halil Defasoglu and defender Jordan Bayer. From Borussia Mönchengladbach, both on loan. Swansea have got in Brentford right back Finn Stevens, and QPR have signed Villa midfielder Tim. I apologise for the pronunciation here. Irog Bunam. That's probably completely wrong, but we'll go with it. Elsewhere, John Buckley has signed a new contract at Blackburn. The midfielder's put pen to paper on a five-year deal. I think he may listen to the podcast, Justin. Not completely sure, but he certainly follows <laughs> us on all platforms and. Also, strangely, follows me on Instagram. He's always looking at my stories, the little bugger. Um, John, if you do listen to the podcast, let us know in some way, shape or form. I, I'm, I'm keen to know. Um, <laughs> moving on. Mark Venus has been named as Sunderland's new assistant head coach. He's always been with Tony Mowbray, so no surprise there. And finally, Craig Bryson has retired from football. Of course, he's most famous for being the namesake of the Craig Bryson pub quiz, but is also a bit of a championship legend after many years at Derby and a spell at Cardiff. One of your favourite players, Justin? Uh, I think many, well, I say many teams, Derby have Cardiff really um, many fans would have liked him um, but yeah he's it's, it it's a typical boxer box player he's the most energetic player I've ever seen um, and yeah I shed a tear when he announced it because it reminded me of the good times 
<laughs> and those good times are long gone. <laughs> um, Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. The first question we asked was this. Who's the most important player not to have left their club on deadline day? Sander Berger, Ben Brereton, Diaz, João Pedro. See, Ben Brereton, Diaz could be the difference between Blackburn finishing 18th, 19th to then finishing potentially in the top half if things go really well. Sander Burge, again, it could be a difference between Sheffield United finishing the automatics in the playoffs. Um, that's a really difficult one, but I want to say João Pedro because Watford seems to lack a spark at the moment that he provides. I think I'd go with João Pedro as well, just because I think Watford are challenging for the top two with him and the team. Without him, I think they're looking more towards just getting a playoff place, really. Um, having said that, Ishmael Osar. He's a very good player, isn't he? I don't know. Who cares? Um, 41% of people said Sander Berger. 36% said Brereton Diaz. 23% said Pedro. Um, will Norwich and Sheffield United be the top two come the end of the season? Yes or no? Wouldn't surprise me. be very boring, obviously. Parachute payment FC over here. But that's how the cookie crumbles in the Championship, isn't it? I would say they have looked the two best teams by quite a distance so far. But it's a long old season, so who knows? 52% of people said yes, 48% said no. And finally, drums at football matches, tin pot or good? <laughs> I want to say good. I think they do drum up an atmosphere, so to speak. Um, so I can't I can't say no. Maybe we should introduce different instruments, maybe a saxophone at a game, just to try and spice things up and try and add some balance maybe to see if drums are overrated because you know you never know a sax might might get people going bit of bit of acid jazz midway through a game who loves that i just think of trumpets and the england barmy army and <laughs> not go. for me I, I just want oh. I, I just want you know good traditional atmospheric games so get i would say forward. no Exactly. Get it forward. Get it in the box. Um, 63% of people said tin pot. 37% said good. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hopeful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Mike Duffy from Voices of the Rick and Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And all we've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the eight Australians with the most appearances in the Premier League, and Mike would say Mark Schwarzer, that's one down. And Ian would say Mark Faduka, that's another down. But if Justin were to say Kevin Muscat, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Of course, Luton and Watford. Got to work together here, boys. Put your differences aside to defeat Simon Grayson, please. Um, boys, can you believe the World Cup is less than two months away? It's honestly amazing, isn't it? So not long now until we see football in the deserts of Qatar. But can you name me the last eight host countries of the World Cup? Worth remembering, no one's won on the hateful eight so far this season. So surely... You'll get this one right. We'll start with you, Mike. Can you name me one of the last eight host countries, please? Yeah, I'm going to go with Russia. Absolutely. It was held there in 2018. Maybe wouldn't be such a good idea to have it right there right now. Um, Ian, your go. Um, France. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 1998. This was the one that probably would have caught me out but yeah France were the last hosts to win it in 1998 not sure I fancy Qatar's chances of changing that this winter Justin your go you've got Brazil in 2014 
Absolutely. Germany won it there, thanks to Mario Goetz's goal in the final. Uh, Mike, your go. Uh, Germany. Yep, Italy won that one after Zidane's headbutt in 2006. You're flying through, boys. You're halfway through. Four remaining. All three of you still in as well. Ian, your go. South Korea and Japan. Yep, Ronaldo's triangle haircut and semen being lobbed <laughs> in 2002. Uh, that means you're five through. Three remaining. Justin, your go. South Africa in 2010. Absolutely. Vuvu Zaylas, the Jabulani. Shabalala, that was in a 2010. That means you've got two remaining. Ian, your go. Oh, no, it's Mike's go, sorry. Uh, that, that one that Justin just said, that, that was my answer. I'm, I'm <laughs> completely out now. Um, let's go for um, Italy. Uh, nah. Absolutely right. Why oh, are you doubting okay. yourself? Italia 90. I wasn't even alive when this one happens, but I'm told it was very nice. Uh, right, you've got one remaining, so surely you'll get this one. You're with all three of you still in, Ian. Is it USA? 94? Absolutely. USA 94, Baggio's penalty, helped Brazil win their fourth World Cup. So congratulations, gents. You're the first winners of Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight this season. You managed to put your differences aside, Mike. I don't know how. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't see that coming one bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, you happy with that? Yeah, for gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> when are you two playing each other? Is it is it next month? October, yeah. Twenty third. Yeah, yeah, twenty third. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Not on TV, nice by the way, which is a disgrace. But yeah, next month. Disgraceful. There we go, boys. This has been the Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Thursday to go through the Middlesbrough v Sunderland game for Monday night and also talk about some of the news that happens in the Championship over the coming days. But a quick thank you to our guests on the podcast this week, Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. Thank you for your time today. Cheers, mate. Mike Duffy from the Watford Podcast, Voices of the Vic. Thank you for your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Absolutely. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.